Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The state of New Mexico enjoys 310 days of sunlight every year. Now, I know that Florida on the license plate says the Sunshine State. But, but with all due respect, Floridians need to know that we beat them. In fact, there are five other states that have more sunshine than Florida. And in order, they are Arizona, California, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, and then Florida. So I just want to set the record straight that we are a sunshine state, except for today, where we have a little bit coming out now. But chances are, in our state, almost any day that you go outside, you're going to enjoy sunlight. And uh, sunlight, even though the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth, it provides all that we need. We absolutely need that sunlight for us to function upon planet earth. Now, I heard about three uh, NASA scientists who were getting together and they were trying to figure out, this was at the height of the space program, they wanted to figure out how they were going to spend the $10 billion allocated by the federal government to their program. And so the first guy said, uh, I say we, we get very ambitious and we put our man on Mars, not the moon, Mars. Second guy said, well, that's really good. I think we should go further. Venus, put our man on Venus. I mean, set the bar high. And the third guy said, I think it's good, but go all the way. Go for broke. I say we put our man on the sun. And they looked at him like, are you an idiot? And then they said to him, are you an idiot? And he said, no, no, no. I got it all figured out. We'll go at night. Okay, that won't work. We can't go to the sun, but we can certainly enjoy its effect upon planet Earth. And what an effect it has. One source that I read stated, Sunlight is the fuel of life. Its energy maintains everything upon the Earth. Think about it. From the photosynthesis in plant life to the vitamin D that our bodies enjoy because of its rays to the reflection off of objects that enables visual perception to the enormous gravitational field that keeps uh, earth tethered, so to speak, in its rotation around the sun. But the term sun can be spelled two different ways in our language, S-U-N and S-O-N. And even as sun, S-U-N, light is needed for physical well-being, so sun, S-O-N, John would say, the son of God, his light is absolutely needed for spiritual life. And that becomes the theme of the paragraph we're about to read, beginning in verse 6 all the way down to verse 13. Step into sunlight, John would say. Now, let's see how often he uses that little term. I'm going to begin for context sake to start in verse 4. Let's look at it together. In him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. There's the first time it's used. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Just by way of reminder, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John are introductory. It's a prologue. In those 18 verses, John gives us the entire theme of the entire gospel. Uh, Think of it as a briefing, a briefing before you get into the details of the whole story of the life of Christ. Here is the briefing of who he is, who we're dealing with, the plan of his life, and then I'll tell you the whole story in detail. And that's what John does. So in verses 1 through 5, the apostle John considers the deity of Christ, He is the Word, He was with God, He was God, He created everything, He's the source of light, He's the source of life. And now, John shows us the reaction of this world generally and specifically to the light coming into the world. So, John the Baptist comes and he represents or introduces Jesus. That's the first few verses of our paragraph, beginning in verse 6. And then the world, by and large, didn't recognize him. They reject him, but there are some who will receive him. So John represented the light. The world rejected the light, but some received the light. Those are the three brushes or strokes that the apostle gives us in this paragraph. Now, something about John you already know. It's a simple book. In fact, isn't this the first book we tell young, brand new believers to read? Typically it is. We, we tell them, hey, if you're going to read the Bible, start with John's gospel. It's, it's the best place to start. We don't say, hey, you're a brand new Christian, read the book of Hebrews. Or, or Romans, or Galatians, or hey, how about Leviticus? That, that's your first one. That's the gospel of John. It's simple, straightforward. Christ exalting. Something else you may not know. In the original Greek language, it's also the simplest. In fact, when you take Greek, the writings of John are the first place you begin because his words are so easy to understand. And so when we graduated from our Greek class, we took the writings of John, in this case, 1 John, and had to translate it all from Greek into English and parse every single word. And that was okay because it was easy, but... Though his language is simple, easy, straightforward, the concepts are pretty profound, pretty deep. And what John does is paint these vast portraits of Christ using metaphor. We have it here. He talks about light, he talks about life, and he talks about birth. And he's using them in spiritual terminology. And what John shows us today is that there are basically two responses and two only to Christ. One, you reject him. Two, you receive him. So here's the question for you. Are you living in sunlight? Or are you living in shadow land? 
Are you walking, living in the sunlight of Christ, or are you still hiding in the shadows? Look with me at verse 6 through 8, how the light was represented by John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Here's one of the first things you notice in just reading through chapter 1. In verse 6, we have an abrupt change. John has been dealing with everything heavenward, the deity of Christ. This man, the Word, Christ, is God, was with God, but was also God himself, created everything, is the source of all life, and is, in fact, the light of the world. Now there's a change. After dealing with all of that, he goes, there was a man. Now he's not dealing with uh, God, he's dealing with a man. He's not dealing with the man, the son of God, he's dealing with a man sent from God whose name was John. Now he's talking about not himself, but John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Uh, John the Apostle never mentions himself in this book. Isn't that interesting? He never says, oh, by the way, I, John one of the friends of Jesus. He doesn't call himself by name. The only reference we have to him in this whole book is he calls himself, get this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you might say, well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? No, I think it's beautiful because Jesus loves everyone, but he personalizes it. Oh, by the way, I'm the guy Jesus loves too. But he is here speaking about John the Baptist. And since John the Baptist was from Judea down south, I guess technically he was a southern Baptist. But (laughs) nonetheless, this is John the Baptist, way before the denomination. He baptized people. And this is what the apostle says about the Baptist. There was a man sent from God. Boy, if, if ever there was somebody sent from God, it was this guy. He was predicted twice in the Old Testament, once in Isaiah chapter 40, where he is called a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist will apply that text to himself in this chapter. Also, the the Old Testament closes with the prediction of an Elijah-like forerunner who would come. Behold, the prophet said, God said to the prophet, I send my messenger who will go before me and prepare the way before me. And this is that guy sent by God. And then the birth of John the Baptist also proved that he was sent by God. Because he had a miraculous birth, did he not? Remember the story about his mom, Elizabeth, and his dad, Zacharias? They were old. They were way past the uh, ability to have children. In fact, Elizabeth was barren, could never have a child. Suddenly, she turns up pregnant by natural means, her and her husband, but it was a miraculous pregnancy and a miraculous birth. In fact, Zacharias is standing in the temple one day doing his priestly duty, and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth is pregnant. You guys are going to have a child, and here's what you'll call him, John, and he will be the forerunner of my Messiah. And spills out the whole story to him right there. And so John is born. And John comes 
But he's just a man sent by God. Here's something you ought to know. Even though John was just a man, did you know he was the greatest person who ever lived up until his time, up until Christ? He's the greatest person who ever lived. You say, but on what basis do you say that? On what Jesus said, Matthew 11, 11, Jesus said, I assure you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that quite a statement? You mean he's greater than Abraham? Yep, he's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses? Yep, greater than Moses. Greater than Moses, greater than David, greater than Isaiah, greater than Noah, Jeremiah. Now why is that? Because he performed the greatest task. Announcing for the first time publicly introducing Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, which we'll read about in a few weeks. So for God to do the most important task, the greatest task of all, he gets the greatest man who ever lived until his time. Verse 7 is his mission. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That's why he existed. To point to sunlight. To, to bring the message of sunlight. Hey, step out into sunlight. Here is the Son of God. He was a witness. Now that's a technical term. It's a courtroom term. A witness is somebody who testifies to the truth, goes to court and tells what he has seen and what he has heard. And John the Baptist was that. He came into the world to testify of the truth of who Jesus really was. It's sort of like this. It's like John the Apostle puts all of humanity into one large courtroom and he says, now I have a message I want to write to you. This Jesus, the Messiah, is God in human flesh. He is the creator of all things that exist. He is the source of light and life. And I want to call my first witness to the stand and his name is John the Baptist. He'll tell you, he saw him, he heard him. And John is the first witness, came to bear witness. Now, watch out for that term, because John the Baptist is first of eight witnesses in the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is the first. There will be more. But he will call witnesses to the stand, and John is the first witness to come. So the whole purpose of John's life is to bear witness of the light. Okay. When he uses the term light to refer to Christ, he's using a metaphor, right? I mean, he doesn't mean that Jesus literally, wherever he walked, glowed, that you didn't need to light a candle when he came into the room at night. Jesus is here. He's the light. He'll just sort of glow in the dark, like the holy cards show him. You know, he's got the halo and he's glowing. That, don't, don't picture that. It's a metaphor. And the Bible uses the term light to speak of a few things. Number one, light physically speaks of the glory of God. The glory of God. What were the first words God, the Creator, ever said? Let there be light. Let there be light. And light was, the Bible tells us. And when David looked up into the sky where the sun, moon, and stars were shining, he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. When I look at the starlight and the moonlight and the sun shining, it speaks to me of God's glory and magnificence. In fact, in the book of Revelation, in the New Jerusalem, 
we're told there's no sun, there's no moon that shine in it, for the glory of God will illuminate it. So physically, light speaks of the glory of God. So for John, to say Jesus is the light is to say Jesus embodies the glory of God in human form. Hebrews 1. The author says, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. There's a second way it's used. Intellectually, light speaks of the knowledge of God. You know what theologians call it, God? Omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's the ultimate knower. He never learns it. He just knows it. Now, you history buffs know that there was a time of history called the Dark Ages, where it was said that people lived without the light of knowledge. And then came the next age, the Enlightenment, when suddenly there was a renaissance of learning and knowledge and art. God is the ultimate knower. To say that Jesus is the light means that he's the ultimately enlightened one. Boy, was he. Did you know that it was dangerous to be around Jesus? Because he would know what you're thinking. Right? Remember when he'd walk up to people and go, "Ah, why is it that you're thinking evil thoughts right now in your heart? And they're going, how did you know that? Because he's enlightened, ultimately enlightened. He knew so much that he predicted his own betrayal, his own death, and the future events of the world up to his second coming. There's a third way the term light is used. Morally, it speaks of God's holiness. His holiness. Light is pure and light is brilliant. And to say God is light or Jesus is light speaks of purity and holiness. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, God alone is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. Another way to put it is there's no flaw at all in God's character. He's perfect. No flaw. No indiscretion. You may have heard of a book. In fact, some of you may have read it. It's a book that's been out a long time ago, but it was called... When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Harold Kushner. And the good rabbi in the book encourages you and I to forgive God. Forgive God. Because he says, you know, God really can't be in control of this thing called the universe. There's a lot of things that happen outside of his control or knowledge. They just happen. And he'd like to help you, but he can't. So would you please forgive God? Well, I want to tell the good rabbi, you don't need to forgive God. There's nothing to forgive God for. He is absolutely flawless and perfect in his character. And so he is light. And to say Jesus is light is to say he is pure and holy and he is perfect and there's no flaw in his character. In fact, Jesus will ask the religious leaders this very penetrating question. Which one of you can convict me of sin? Answer. No one. Now, there's something implied in all this. If Jesus Christ is light, that means that when we follow him, we step out of what? Darkness. So to say, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, means you have stepped out of moral darkness and are walking in the holy light of Christ. Doesn't mean you're perfect, because you're not. I'm not perfect, none of us... But we're growing, we're we're becoming as we follow him. He is the light. 
Now, before I leave this and go to the next little swath that John gives us here, I just want to say that what John was is what I want to be. It says John was a man sent from God. Really, that's all I want to be. Just a a man or a a woman, isn't that the greatest possible aspiration we could have? Just a person sent by God to do his bidding. Just to point to him, just to point to Christ. Look at verse 7. This man, that's John, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Through whom? Not Jesus. Through John. Notice it's a small h as opposed to the big h. In other words, John is the conduit. His life was the channel. He was the guy pointing people to Christ. That people through his testimony of truth might believe. I picture it this way. John the Baptist was like the moderator, the MC at a a sound and light show. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. But uh, there's one in Jerusalem, a sound and light show. You can go to at night. And you sit in a little theater and they show you the walls of Jerusalem, especially the Tower of David, and a voice comes over the loudspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, I direct your attention to, and then the light goes on, and you see some stones and an explanation is given. And now, ladies and gentlemen, they point to another section where the light... John is like the voice in the sound and light show. Ladies and gentlemen, you might want to put on your sunglasses because the light of the world is about to step into human history. John was that voice. And that's what I want to be, just a man sent from God. John never wanted the limelight. He just wanted to be a man sent from God to point people to the truth. So I ask you this question. Is your life a gate or a wall? When people, or can people, look at you and thus through you and see Christ, or is it just a wall? They see you and that's all they see. Or are you pointing people to the Savior? That's the highest goal one can have. A man or a woman sent from God. So, the light was represented by John. But look what happened. Verse 9. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. But notice now how the light is rejected. He was in the world, and the world was made through him And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Did you know that Jesus' whole life is summed up in those two or three verses? Jesus' life was one of rejection. His whole story was the story of rejection. He came into the very world he created, and the world didn't get it. And you know what? They still don't get it. The word know him is the word gnosko, which has the idea of recognition. The creator came in human form, and they did not recognize him. They didn't connect the dots. I've discovered that if there's one thing this world consistently gets wrong, you know what it is? The identity of Christ. They get that answer wrong all the time. Well, I picture Jesus as just a good man. Or I think he was just a wonderful prophet who had a lot of fine things to say. And they'll say a lot of things about Jesus and they're consistently wrong. And you should not be surprised. It is the story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
In all those four Gospels, there's individuals or there's groups of people who thought certain things about Jesus and they were not right. I'll give you a sampling. In John 7, some said he was just a good man while others said he was a deceiver. They got that wrong. You can push the button. Answer wrong. In Matthew 16, some said he was John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Got the answer wrong. You wouldn't that. In John chapter 6, after Jesus makes them a free lunch, they wanted to take him by force and make him a what? A king. A human earthly king. A monarch. A dictator. He wasn't that. Luke 23, they called him a tax evader. Imagine Jesus against the IRS. I won't go there. And they said he is subverting the government. Got the answer wrong there. John chapter 10, they said he has a demon. Got the answer wrong there. And did you know, in Mark chapter 3, even his own family got the answer wrong. In Mark chapter 3, his mother and his brothers go to Capernaum to take him away because they said, and I quote, he is out of his mind. Got the answer wrong there. Now, nothing has changed. And every year, right about this time, Christmas and Easter... You're going to find these magazines will put out various articles about the true identity of Jesus. It's predictable. It comes every Christmas, every one of these lame magazines will come out with an article. And were it not so tragic, it would be laughable. This steady stream of what people say Jesus was. I've collected a few of them. Some have written and said, Jesus Christ was a magician who practiced illusion and hypnosis. Others said he was a zealot or a guru or a world traveler. Some believe he was the husband of Mary Magdalene who procreated a secret lineage to rule the world. These are things that make articles in Time and Newsweek magazine. According to the Jesus Seminar, a group out of uh, Arizona who tells you what is really scripture and what is not scripture said, and I quote, Jesus was probably just an illiterate from a low caste of artisans. John Allegro, a Semitic scholar, wrote a book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, and he said, Jesus Christ was not a historical man at all, but Jesus was a code name for a sacred hallucinogenic mushroom allegedly used by the first Christians. That puts a whole new spin on, hey dude, you want Jesus? A French-Canadian cult said Jesus' resurrection was a cloning performed by aliens who made humans in a laboratory DNA experiment 25,000 years ago. And and what do we say to all that? People write articles about this stuff. If there's one thing the world consistently gets wrong, it's who Jesus was. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world did not know him. But John gets more specific. 
Look at verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. See, what I think John is doing is saying, okay, generally, you put Jesus in the world, and generally the world doesn't recognize him, but specifically, his own people, the Jewish nation, didn't receive him. That's what I think he's referring to in verse 11. And here's why. He came into his own. The first word own in that sentence is in the neuter gender, and it refers to uh, things like place or land or home. But the second own in that sentence is masculine in gender, and it refers to people. So it could be literally translated, he came to his own place or nation, but his own people did not receive him. And that's why the New Living Translation renders it that way. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. You know what the Jewish Talmud said Jesus was? This is a quote right out of the Talmud. He was the illegitimate son of Mary. The illegitimate son of Mary, whom they fancy Mary, was a hairdresser. Where they got that, I don't know. But it also says Jesus was called Panthera, and he learned magical arts in Egypt, and then came to Israel to instigate a rebellion. So you see what John is saying. Jesus, the creator, the light, the life, he came into his world. He came to his nation. He came to his place, his city, his temple. And they did not recognize him, and they did not receive him. Even though for centuries the Jews had predicted and waited for a Messiah to come, and you read the Old Testament and, and it's like there's a flicker of light here and a flicker of light there and a trace of light here and a trace of light there. And they get their hopes up. And then it's like the sun itself, the light, comes to the earth. And John the Baptist goes, that's it. That's the light. Not me. I'm just a preacher. That's the light. And they said, turn off the light. Or in the words of Scripture, crucify him. His blood be on us and our children. That was the response. They hated the light. It was too bright for them. Imagine the very hands that he created were the very hands that picked up nails and a hammer and drove his own hands, those sacred hands, onto a cross. Now, that's going to happen again. It's going to happen again in a few weeks. It's called Christmas. Oh, excuse me. Holidays. The winter holidays. You'll hear the debates. They will be on television. Somebody in some city, some public display or decoration, got to take Christ out of Christmas and, you know, just make it about Santa and reindeers and a little snow and gifts and smiles and winter holiday. But take Christ out of that. Or they'll say, well, you can have a manger scene. But just make sure that you just keep Jesus as a little baby. We don't mind the little baby Jesus. We just don't want him to grow up. Because when he grows up, he's very unstable and unpredictable and says things like, you better believe in me because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going to a cross to die for the sins of the world. We don't want that Jesus. We just want the little baby one that stays a baby every year and brings good cheer. He came to his own. 
and his own did not receive him. And that is the position of the world. And you'll see it over and over again in Believe 879 through the Gospel of John. However, there's good news. The light was represented by John. The light was rejected by most, but the light was received by some. Look at verse 12. But, if ever I was glad to see that word begin a sentence, it's right about now. Even though my English teacher said, never begin a sentence with the word but, I'm so glad that John the Apostle didn't go to my English class. Because this little conjunction, negative conjunction, is a huge fulcrum that shifts it now a whole nother direction. But, As many as received him, to them he gave the right, or literally power, or authority, to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you notice how John goes from very wide to very narrow, from very general population to individual person. You know, he talks about the world, first of all. And the world didn't recognize him. And then he came to his own people, the Jewish people, and they didn't receive him. But, now to the individual, but as many as received him. In other words, any anyone, any individual. So from wide to narrow. I think what he's saying could be summed up in this. The world didn't want him. His own people didn't want him. Hey, do you want him? Do you want him? As many as received him, he gave them the power to become his children. The world didn't want him. His nation didn't want him. Hey, do you want him? Because if you want him, you know what? You have to receive him. As many as received him. That's another word for believe. Grammatically, they are appositional terms. One means the other. To receive Christ is to believe in him. It's more than intellectual, yes, I believe God exists and he had a son named Jesus. I believe that up here. The idea is to receive it, to make it personal, to make it personal, to surrender, to commit. You know, sort of like a, a gift. If, if you get a gift this Christmas, it's not really your gift until you receive it. You have to take the gift, open it up, And it's yours. If it just sits in the closet, unopened, unreceived, it's really not your gift yet. You have to receive it. Same with Christ. You have to receive him. Now something, I I know it's obvious, but we should note this. Notice that you're not born a child of God. You become a child of God. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. You don't get born a Christian, you get born again a Christian. Born of God is what it says in the next verse. I'll tell you why this is important. This becomes the issue today. Because the prevailing belief system is this. It's called the fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. We're all children of God. Everybody in the world is a child of God by creation. Now that may be good on Oprah. That is Oprah theology. But it is not biblical theology. You're a child of God, not by creation, but by redemption. 
You receive Christ and you have the right, the power to become God's children. Verse 13 spells it out. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It doesn't come by bloodline. Remember the Jews, some of them tried that? They said, well, we have Abraham as our father. And they tried it with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, now I know what you guys are thinking. You guys are thinking, well, you're children of Abraham. You have this right of salvation by birth. But you ought to know something, John the Baptist said. God can make children of Abraham out of these rocks. He was very direct. And yet, you can ask people today, well, hey, are you a Christian? Well, sure. I was born a Christian. I was born into a Christian family. My parents are strong Christians. It's not what I ask you, and you didn't answer my question. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You're not born. You're born again into his family. You become a child of God. And you do it by believing, by receiving. So there's two possible responses to the light. The sunlight shines. And one response is the majority response, and it's the wrong response. The second response is the minority response, and it's the right one. Have you ever stopped to think that the majority is not right? I know that sounds so un-American. But the majority is wrong. I want you to consider what John the Apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. I'll quote it for you. We are of God, dear children, and we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So is the world, by and large, right about Jesus? Nope. The minority. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and most people enter therein. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and very few enter therein. His words. So the light has come. John represented him. Most of the world rejects him, but some will receive him. Some will receive him. And Jesus said, you are either for me or against me. I heard a story about a man who lost his car keys. When I first read it, I thought it was uh, somebody writing about me. But this guy lost his car keys. I do it all the time. And he's looking for him outside on the street, under the street light at night. He's looking for his keys. His neighbor uh, sees what's going on, feels sorry for him, goes out to help him. They search for about 20 minutes until the neighbor finally says, Now, do you remember exactly where you dropped your car keys? Because we've been looking for 20 minutes. And the guy said, Yeah, I lost him in the garage. <laughs> you lost him in the garage? What are we doing looking for them out here? And the guy said, Well, the light's better out here. Well, I have a hunch that some of you here today, you don't exactly know where or when you lost your way, but you lost your way. You've come here because the light's better. The light's better here. You're around people who enjoy and bask in the light of Jesus and they love him and you feel it and you love to come. But there's a step that must be made, a single step out of darkness into Sun light, S-O-N light. And all I've done is give a message. I've just been a man pointing to the light. I can't save anybody. I can't help anybody. I had a lady come up to me the other day and she said, I just want to thank you for saving me. 
And I said, I appreciate what you're saying, but I, I, I save no one. I've been saved. Jesus will save. And friend, he will save you. He will enlighten you. He will make your way clear, crystal clear. But it comes by believing in and thus receiving the gift personally. Heavenly Father, as we close this service today, it's my prayer, first of all, for your people, believers, that we would become a door and not a wall, that people would see us and see through us and see the Savior, Jesus, the light of the world. We would be like a moon to a sun, simply reflecting the greater glory of the one who sent us. And then, Father, I pray for those who have come, who've lost their way. They've come here because the light is much better. And through the lens of Scripture, it's clear. It's clear who you are, it's clear who we are, and it's clear what we must do. And I pray that many more would receive Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.